Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm with my guy, Mike Renner, in studio for our listener mailbag. We are grinding through these questions. If you want your question answered on the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and drop your question in there. We're going to get to them. We've already committed to a 10-hour live show to answer all the questions if necessary. We're catching up, but we will do it. Go put your question in Apple Podcasts right now. Um, also on the show today, we have interviews with former Washington edge defender Joe Tryon and former Indiana safety Jamar Johnson. Let's get it. Buddy, we are back, back-to-back recordings here on a lovely Wednesday morning to rip up our listener mailbag. Gives us time to what? Bonus listener mailbag. Mm. We're going to do two mailbags a week until we answer every single question you guys send. Yeah. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and ask us a question. You'll get on this list. And if you're international, we're going to have to have an international mailbag day. There's like over 150 questions internationally, but we'll get to them. We're going to find a way. Find a way to make it happen. Might be on the 10-hour live show. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Ready to rock? Let's rock. Let's rock. All right. This is from Brian Lenz. Are there any Nebraska players that should be good in the next few drafts? And would the Lions be better off drafting Lance at seven or trading back with the team who wants him and drafting BPA later? So the Nebraska players, they have DT, Ben Stilley, may get drafted late round. He took a sixth year. JoJo Doman linebacker as well. The one I'm looking forward to, though. Wide receiver. Wandale Robinson. Yes, you heard that right. It's like the he's the like Walmart knockoff version of Rondale Moore. You wanted you wanted Rondale. Well, it's too bad you got Wandale. Um, he's a slot wide receiver for them. Some speed. He'll be. He's a he was a sophomore last year. He'll be he'll be in the mix. Uh, but Nebraska coffins kind of barren there. Coffers are kind of barren. Not uh, what about not the not the nineties Nebraska we came to know and love. What about the offensive tackle, Brian Jamie's? He's in this year's draft. Oh, I thought he was like the next few drafts. I'm saying, what about this year's draft? Give yeah. us a little, re- okay, give yeah. us a little report on Jamie. He's an OT. He's a little soft. I hate using soft. I, I was like Fragile? Soft. soft compared to other office tackles in this draft class. Not compared to me, who's the softest human being alive. But he's soft compared to other offense tackles in the draft class. Um, relatively soft. Relatively soft. Uh, just in terms of like his anchor is weak. He can be bull rushing in the pocket. Not going to be much in the as a run blocker. But I think he can come in a pass protect. I think he had a fourth-round grade on him in the draft guide. And would the Lions be better off drafting Lance or trading back to a team who wants him? Now, if a team wants him, you get a sweetheart deal. Like, yeah, always trade back for that QB. I think they'll be firmly in the mix next year's quarterback class, as I'll answer in a future question here, hopefully on this show, maybe on next ones. But if no one's making you a deal and Trey Lance is there, take Trey Lance, yes. Definitely take Trey Lance. Alrighty, moving. I definitely think they should stay put at seven. Or if there's a if the QB five or QB four falls as far as seven, you need to get out of that pick or take him. You know, you're in no position. You're in no position to say no. We need to stay put and take Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts or Jalen Wallace. Like no, there are teams trading second round picks for Sam Darnold. The desperation is real. Denver will come up. New England will come up. Washington will come up. You will find a team looking to make a play. And especially if it's Trey Lance, where he's the type of quarterback. Everyone agrees that it's a, a tool. He's toolsy, not a tool. Toolsy. That he shows anything 
everyone's all of a sudden like, oh shit, we like that guy has it. He can play in the NFL now. He shows any development. Whereas if a guy is not particularly toolsy, if you're drafting a Daniel Jones, let's say, that high, and then he doesn't really look like he's working out, that the rest of the NFL is going to be, eh, no, thank you. Fair enough. All right, this is from What's the Shanna Plan? Sorry about my novel of a comment last time, guys. I'll get straight to it this time. Oh, this guy's already asking multiple questions. What are you guys' favorite guilty pleasure picks on either side of the ball, i.e. a player who would really fit well in a certain scheme but doesn't really fit the bill from a need or value standpoint? My picks would be Travis Etienne to San Francisco in round two and Zayvon Collins to New England at 15. Yeah, I got bored with those. I like the Falcons going to Jamar Chase. He'd be awesome. Him and Julio Jones paired together. Yeah. would be hashtag fun to watch. Chiefs going Kadarius Tony. Another one was just like, God damn, that'd be too much fun. Hashtag to watch. And then this one actually might fill a need, but Micah Parsons to the football team. That front seven would melt faces. My God. What you could do with Parsons, Young, Sweat, Allen, Payne, Ionitis. Those are my faves. I, I think... Falcons going any of the top three receivers, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, adding a receiver to that group would be freaking awesome. Also, Kyle Pitts. Like, I mean, get, just getting another weapon there for Atlanta, any of those four top end pass catchers would be sick as hell. They just traded a second for Hayden Hurst. What? Stop. This is the same guy. Stop. There's no redundancy with Kyle Pitts. Another thing I'm thinking of is like if the Dallas Cowboys, who have a really good offensive line, went like Rashawn Slater at 10 and just continued to build up front. I mean, that's another like when I'm yeah. looking at luxury picks, I'm yeah. thinking about, OK, what are already really good position groups? Let's double down. You know, Denver getting a corner, you know, something like that, where you're just like going to continue to throw resources at a What's position that's already good. A million dollars. A billion dollars. What's cooler than being ice cool? No, fuck. Cooler I than a million offensive linemen. <laughs> I suck at song lyrics. What's cooler than being cool? Ice cold. Man, timely reference, too. That one just came out. Did it really? <laughs> 20, 30, 2003. All right. This is from Rymel DPS. Uh, the Eagles' new DC is Jonathan Gannon, who most recently worked under Eberflus and is a Mike Zimmer disciple. What, With that information, who are some day two or three guys who fit the scheme to the Eagles potentially draft on defense? I think someone else asked this as well. Okay. Not as quite as directly. I think my answer for that were Lee McNeil on the defensive line, Jabril Cox at linebacker, and Tyson Campbell. So that's Lee McNeil of North Carolina State, Jabril Cox, the LSU linebacker, and Georgia cornerback Tyson Campbell. All would fit the D. Fair enough. All right. Jumping to this this person's um, username came in in Hebrew. So I don't know. It's They somehow slipped into the American mailbag. I don't know. Here we are. But this Hebrew. is from that person. American. My he tries they can't be American. No, they can't, but I, I, the language default. Like I wasn't. <laughs> my God. Austin. Sorry. My preference Check would be. Check your bigotry at the door. Okay. My preference would be Davis Mills with Mondra Trask, if not for Mills. But is it worth the pick if you're going to be in the market for a top five quarterback in 2022? Burning a top 60 pick on a backup QB on a team with a lot of holes not ideal clearly. Did he mention the team here? I think it's Patriots. Okay. Patriots. Sorry. So, and if yet. And yet, if you don't select a quarterback before day three, if Cam brings New England back to seven wins, you're stuck in the same place you are now. Can you afford to just punt on 2021 with the hope to be in a better place than you are now? What's the Patriots' best option for the future quarterback? So you're not going to be in a better place next year's draft. It just That would floor me for them to be picking top five, top eight, to be in striking distance to a QB class. And we said quarterback classes like this don't come around every year. So if you are within striking distance, this is you make the play up, making the play in the second round. I wouldn't hate grabbing Davis Mills, 
like, I think you can still throw darts. It doesn't, it never hurts to throw darts, especially at the most valuable position in the NFL. But I would take that dart, that dart you might throw in the second round and just use it to go up in the first round would be my play because I don't think 2020, again, 2021, even if you go seven wins, even if you go and you're hoping to go much better than seven wins, you're not going to be in the position to do it again. And Cam Newton plays well, you're going to have to pay him. And that's not what that roster is built around. So we've said it, I think, a number of times now. Up or just kind of so I can roll dice with Cam. I mean, we had this take right after they spent big in free agency. You know, you're going to spend that much money with not a lot of, you know, rookie contracts you're going to look to extend in the next two to three years. Go up and make a play. This is going to be one of the, if not the most improved teams in the NFL this year because of all the investments they made offensively and defensively in Francie. If Cam Newton's healthy, doesn't get COVID, gets a vaccine, like you're going to see a better Cam Newton. You're going to see a better offense with Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. For that reason, go up and make your play at quarterback now. Go get Trey Lance. Go get Justin Fields. Go make sure you have the quarterback of the future on that cost-controlled contract right now rather than waiting to potentially trade up when you're closer to where the Washington football team is, drafting at 19 or the Bears at 20. Like Those teams are in dire straits right now. Those teams are a, a, a couple bad drinks away from trading a second for Sam Darnold. I mean, that, that's where they might be, honestly. So um, definitely a rough situation for New England if they don't trade up now. Trade up now. Go to four at Atlanta. Go to seven with Detroit, six with Miami. Go find a way. I guess you can't trade with Miami because of the inner division bullshit. But um, I do think that um, going up and getting a pick is, is the way to go for New England. This is from Joko Giba. Renner previously mentioned TCU produces good NFL safeties when talking about Trayvon Morrid. What's another program that consistently develops NFL-ready talent at a position group that is never talked about? Fair. That's a good, good follow-up. Conversely, what powerhouse program never has any NFL talent at a position group? Ohio State quarterbacks never has NFL talent. Stop. Stop. I will say, though, okay, the one that gets swept under the radar, Michigan State quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins, Brian Hoyer, Drew Stanton, Nick Foles, even Connor Cook, and people like Brian Lewerke last year. That's a crazy amount of... NFL quarterbacks for a program that no one talks about. No one talks about. That's With a good fair reason. Take. That's a fair take. Yeah. So I think Michigan State quarterbacks fits that bill. The other ones, the other one I'd say, Mississippi State defensive tackles: Fletcher Cox, Chris Jones, Jeffrey Simmons. You got three damn near blue chip. With in Jeffrey Simmons' case, the other two are blue chip defensive tackles from one school that you know, and no one's no one's calling them DTU. Mm-hmm. I think those two on either side of the ball are two. They kind of get. Oh shit! You think about me like, oh wow, they actually do. Pretty San Diego State running backs, Rashad Donnell. Penny, Donald Pumphrey. <laughs> Just what about I- them. Iowa offensive line? <clears throat> See, everyone talks about them though. See, I, I like, feel like it's Wisconsin line. offensive line, Notre Dame offensive line. I feel Fair, like yeah. in comparison I, I to them, it's a little underrated. It might be. Iowa probably has the best track record in terms of just NFL. And they got Linderbaum like. coming up. Linderbaum, Worfs, Alaric Jackson. Brandon Scherf. They'll have to throw in a Larry Jackson there. But, I mean, they're NFL, NFL guys. Marshall Yonda. They got a bunch, yeah. What about Iowa DBs? Desmond King. Um, Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde. The the Green Bay Packers safety that we thought was going to be good. Josh Jackson. Quarterback. That's a um, quarterback. I said DBs. Yeah. You said safety, though. Oh, I'm an idiot. Um, cool. All right. Let's jump to uh, Con Shonery. What do you guys think of wide receiver Donnie Corley? Dude came into Michigan State and was a freshman All-American after playing both wide receiver and corner. Michigan State does that a lot as well. 
the cornerback wide receiver. Tony Lippett. Yeah, Tony yeah. Lippett. Got kicked off the team a year later and ended up at Texas Southern and balled out last year. Now he's entering the draft. I think he's a sleeper prospect that no one's talking about. Any thoughts? He's interesting. So he tweets out a video of himself. Actually, here, ask the next question, too, because two people are bringing up Donnie Corley. Okay. This is from a clearly struggling MSU fan. A lot of Michigan State hype today. Could you guys do a quick player review on Donnie Corley? Showed a lot of potential as a freshman, and he had some bad off-the-field issues. Secondly, who are some Michigan State players getting drafted this year and around what round? All right, so Corley's six two, 186. I honestly think maybe DB is his best position because he said 439 at his, at his Exos Pro Day as the first question outlined. 453 yards is receiving as a true freshman at Michigan State. Four-star recruit, played 54 snaps at cornerback as well, mostly towards the end of the season. Looked fine. 57.3, 57.9 coverage grade on those. Obviously gets kicked out with sexual assault uh, allegations off the field, goes to community college, then goes to Texas Southern, over 1,000 yards to Texas Southern 2019. Doesn't play his past year, COVID, whatever. Um, in the draft, I think he gets drafted. Like his tape's good enough, speed's good enough, when he moves is good enough to get drafted. I would I, I would not be surprised though if it's that cornerback. I think that's where his skill set looked, it's in my opinion, the most impressive. Um and everyone wants the tall cornerback that can move. Everyone wants him. Because he's only 186 pounds at six two. He's kind of skinny for a wide receiver. And in on a sex southern tape, he's just running go balls all that time. This year's draft, Shakur Brown, probably the only one who I would say gets drafted, they got Naquan Jones too. I don't, I don't think he will. Um, round five or so, he's a five foot ten, hundred eighty five pound corner who ran a four six one. That's a tough sell. His tape's great. I mean, a lot of really nice plays on the football, but that is not the athletic profile that teams are going to covet highly. So, round five and beyond is where I'd expect him to come off the board. He declared early too. I was talking to someone within the Michigan State program and said he was surprised he declared. Kind of similar to Josiah Scott last year. I like Josiah Scott's tape better, though. All right, let's jump to DMAC17. What are your thoughts on Denzel Mims so far with the Jets? And do you think he can become a true wide receiver one? Start there. I, I thought he was the getting offline like as a route runner looked more like the guy who saw at Senior Bowl than the guy I kind of saw on tape. We said that difference was concerning. And so the fact that he is looking more like that Senior Bowl guy, very good, but the work... There was a mildly worrisome thing. The sort of the receiver he was at Baylor was this contested catch, body control guy. He only went three of eleven contested situations as a rookie. Now, not a huge sample size, not great, but like he was a skinnier contested catch guy. And a lot of times, the skinnier contested catch guys they started to get bodied at the NFL level when they are going against NFL strength at cornerback. So that is maybe the mildly concerning thing. But again, it's only his rookie year. I. Bad did quarterback not, play. Did not have a situation that was set up for him to succeed. So this year with Zach Wilson, I'm guessing the guy's going to give him a lot of chance, those chances down the football field. Much more going to be indicative of what he, who he is. Dude, I'm excited for potentially a second-year breakout from Denzel Mims. If Zach Wilson can get out there and make some plays, he can yeah. be the Dax Milne of the Jets' offense. Yeah. I mean, Dax Milne, they leaned on Dax Milne a ton at BYU. Follow-up here from DMAC. Uh, how soon should the Jets target a wide receiver in the 2021 NFL draft, and who do you think is an ideal complement to Denzel Mims? I don't think 23 is too soon. I, I really don't. I think you can add a third guy to that mix of Denzel Mims, Corey Davis, whoever you want. Because I 
I don't really see either of those guys as like the guy in that offense. And so I don't think 23 is too soon. And his last one here, is this the best three years? No, ideal compliment. I feel like Elijah Moore could be nice there. Yeah. There you go. So. Elijah Moore at 23. Yeah. I'm all about it. Um, is the best three-year wide receiver? Is this the best three-year wide receiver draft stretch? 2020 was a great class. 2021 seems to be deep and talented at the top. And then you got David Bell, Trey Burks, Garrett Wilson, Alave, Mechie, Pickens, all as 2022 guys. So you think this is going to be the best three-year stretch? I would. I thought I would go back 2019 to 2021. Things better. I, I don't love. I mean, Alave. I, I don't love Pickens. Obviously, he just tore his ACL. I don't think he's going to be in the class. Um, I'm not super high on Mechie either. Uh, Wilson and Olave are the one-two for me at this point in time. I, I think the 2019 one that had A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, like, and what they already did, it would have been drafted higher had you not just had the worst four-year draft stretch of wide receiver like ever. Yeah. You know, teams were terrified of drafting wide receivers that year. That's why all those guys fell down boards. So I do think that class was... So 19 to 21, yeah, probably was. Best receiver stretch ever. All right, moving on to Jesh2OS. Hey, guys, my name's Evan. Interesting. And my question for you is both... That was Jesh2OS. I thought it was Jesh2OS. My name's Evan, and my question for you both is what your what is your way too early top seven picks for next year? All right, here we go. I wrote them out, and I wrote teams too, which Fine. is going to upset people. This has nothing to do with... You know, their Vegas odds of winning the Super Bowl. This is my take. Oh, wow. You didn't even go Vegas odds. Didn't go Vegas odds. I said, this is what I think it's going to be. So, number one, Houston Texans, Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma. Number two, Detroit Lions, Sam Howell, North Carolina quarterback. Number three, New York Jets. Sorry, Jets fans. You're starting a rookie quarterback. You're still kind of barren. Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon defensive end. There you go. You got a blue chip defensive end. Be happy. Uh, Number four. Philadelphia Eagles. I like that. Keaton Slovis, USC quarterback. Number five, Las Vegas Raiders. Sorry to do it to you. That's fine. Derek Stingley Jr. The I LSU like Derek Stingley. cornerback. Yeah. yeah, he's a monster. Number six, Jacksonville Jaguars. Your guy. Oof, I hate that I had to do this to Urban Meyer and T-Law. But number six overall pick, Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety. There you go. go. You got a blue chip safety. And then number seven, Quinn. I, I mean, I, this is not surprising to me. I, I Seven is better than I thought it was going right, to be. Cincinnati Bengals go Zach Harrison, the defensive end from Ohio State. There you go. There's your top seven picks. I don't know why you want seven. You just wanted me to include the Bengals. He wanted me to include the Bengals. Evan did. And, and the Bengals go for that, the hometown guy. Even though Pair him up with Sam Hubbard. Wait, wait. Who's, uh, who's that coach? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. Who do we think would be the head coach? Joe Brady. Yeah, Joe Brady. How sick go. would that be? It will be Joe Brady. Brady, Burrow, Chase. That would I'm be sick it. as hell. I'm all the way for it. <laughs> I'm yeah. all about that. All right, this is from This Is Oof. I've got two questions here. I hope they don't have too much beef. Most recent pod I heard, the mustache man said he likes team-specific off-season building questions. So as a massive footballer fan, here's mine. This it's is for the Cowboys. Cowboys. Free agency, they were going to sign. So we're still behind here. Trey oh, Boston. This doesn't look like the Cowboys anymore. This looks like the Washington football team. Okay, Washington football team. They signed Trey Boston, Curtis Samuel, Alex Anzalone, Corn Elder, Nate Jerry, Jacob Hollister, and some sort of meh free agency quarterback. They did get the meh in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they did get Curtis Samuel. Some of these other guys, I mean, there's special teamers for the most part. Jerry, Corn Elder, what the fuck are we even doing? <laughs> Why do you I, want I, Nate Jerry? <laughs> Jacob Hollister, what's the sorry. point? 
Um, but then you look at his draft here for the Washington football team. Oh, Wide receiver Rashad Bateman of Minnesota at 19. He gets Jamin Davis of Kentucky at 51, which would be sick if he falls that far. Your boy Shakur Brown out of Michigan State at 74. All the way at 82, which is possible because of the size stuff. Yeah. Ardarius Washington, TCU safety. 125, Brady Christensen. After that pro day, I think he's going higher. The BYU yeah. tackle. He goes at 125. Then you have Sidarius Hutchinson. Hutcherson, I think South Carolina offensive lineman at 164. Your boy, KJ Stefferson, former Notre Dame standout turn. Jacksonville State standout. Not quite a standout. Not quite a standout. Two forty-five, <laughs> and then uh, DJ Daniels, which is—is is that the Minnesota corner? Minnesota safety? No, DJ Daniel is the Georgia corner. Oh, that's I right. think might end up being safety. I kind of like him at safety, but this, yeah. I mean, you picked like all my guys, so fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna like that. That's it's sweet. You hit on Curtis Samuel in the offseason. The trade Boston's still a free agent. Could could still make a play. So, dude, if you're able Man. to get Bateman, Davis, Washington, and Brady Christensen. That's a that's a that's a pretty slam dunk draft with yep. the first four or five picks. Shakur Brown, I could hit or miss, but I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. All righty. This is from. Yes, sir. Oh wait. Okay. So th then he had a follow up question. Oh. That's shit. a lot of beef in that question. So the last one's simpler. How likely do you think it is that the Cowboys lock into Patrick Sertan at number ten just because Bama corners come back together? I don't think it's going to be because of that. Yeah, no. because he's the best corner yeah. right now. But, but I do think that's very likely. All right, this is from Yes Sir one two three four six two three. Thoughts on Spiller and Smith, both A and M running backs, but Smith can play slot slot and receiver occasionally. Both are sophomores. Do you have an early grasp on how they will perform next year? Would you expect one to become RB one over Brees Hall? No, I love Brees Hall, man. But you know, should anything could happen, it's yeah. we're still pretty far out to be making declarations, but I do love Brees Hall as top running back in that class as we stand right now. Um, I think Smith, he's he's really more of a wide receiver. I, I don't, I would not consider him a running back. I think you're misusing him to be calling him a running back, but I, I like him as a slot wide receiver. Isaiah Spiller, one of the better power backs coming back to be 225 as a true sophomore last year already. He was shredding tackles left and right. I am a fan. He just doesn't have quite top end speed, high end juice. Not quite there. So he is, but he has the buy type for the NFL. Uh, he'll be an NFL running back for sure. I love the collegiate love we're getting on the mailbag. Michigan State, some Texas A&M guys. So we got to make the tailgate tour Spreading it. this year. Tailgate tour. I've never been to Texas A&M. We're going around the country. Tailgate College station. station. Let's run it. All right. This is from Bats for you Bats. You know I want to go tailgate. This is very, I've always wanted to go tailgate at Baylor. They have the new, the new stadium with like the river or whatever that surrounds the stadium and you see all those boats and everyone's tailgating on the boats. My God. I, I haven't seen that. I've never awesome. seen that. No. Oh, every time I see them, like now if Baylor just had a football program, that'd be cool. But you know, they hate on Baylor like that. They don't have they fucking, after they just won a life. national championship. I mean, it's probably a pretty good time down at Baylor right now. It probably is a saying. sick ass time. The, moat around, the moat around the stadium yeah. is loaded. It's, all right. This is from bats for bats. Uh, I love that. Oh, my question is on the PFF mock draft simulator. I love that there you can edit draft for need, care for positional value, and randomness to see how everything can change. You can also, on the mock draft simulator, you can also um, change for public versus PFF board, which is awesome. Like you can like skew towards the public consensus or skew towards what P how PFF sees the class. That's another nice slider on the mock draft simulator. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think is the most realistic setting for the actual NFL draft today. I know this is hard to explain without the visual but both for the draft for need and care 
care for positional value, go five pegs on the right. Okay, blah, blah, blah. I know, I know the answer. I know the answer. Yeah, I was say, you know this, I don't. So what I would do is I would do care for vis... It all starts in the middle. All the sliders start in the middle. Take care for positional value down two notches. Bang, bang. Take randomness down two notches. Bang, bang. Take draft for need up two notches. Bang, bang, up. And then public versus consensus, I would go two notches down towards the consensus. So that way you're seeing more of what... How the consensus sees the draft rather than just how PFF sees the draft because you're not going to be able to get PFF's guys if you go to the PFF board or else they're going to just draft like right off the PFF board. So I'd go two notches, two notches down on randomness, two notches down on positional or positional value, two notches up on need. And then obviously two notches down towards the consensus board. That is very difficult. If you're listening on the podcast to understand, go to the mock draft simulator, pff.com slash mock, check it out. It's good stuff. All right. This is from everyday Joe Lamshack. I've made two. I've made a two-round Dolphins mock for you to for you two to break down, and I have one follow-up question. Fair enough. So this guy, obviously, turning in his card here before they traded back from three to twelve, and then up to six. But he has Panay Sewell at three, Jeremiah Usukormoa at eighteen, Rondell Moore at thirty-six, and then Kenneth Gainwell, the Memphis running back, at fifty. Let's pretend he took Panay Sewell at six because I think he yeah. still could be there. Let's. So everyone, the interesting thing I thought of the other day, maybe it's not that interesting, but everyone's like, oh, they want one of the blue chip wide receivers. That's why they traded back up. Shit, maybe they think, maybe they feel like everyone else, feel like other people and think Slater and Sewell are the two best offensive linemen in this class and that it's a steep gap between them and the next best, which I believe it is. Maybe that's who they wanted. Now, not 100%, but I, I would, they could still be players for Penny Sewell. That's all I'm saying. Um, and then JOK, Rondo Moore, like, yeah, that's fucking awesome. I like that. That guy, those guys are difference makers and are unique skill set sort of guys. Kenny Gainwell, 50, eh. I don't think he's kind of an every down back is the issue I would have there. You got to throw him behind a pretty bad offensive line compared to what he had at Memphis, and he's an undersized kind of one-trick receiver guy. I, I would not draft that guy that highly. There are a number of those guys in the draft class. If you're going to draft a running back 50 that you want in that mold, assuming the top three are off the board, I'd go with like Michael Carter. I think he'd be more of an every down guy. I'd honestly, if you're considering drafting a running back at 50, just draft him at like 250. Just just don't do it. What's the point? I'm not in on it. All right. Uh, His follow-up question, what rounds do you expect Richie Grant and Kate Johnson to be taken, and do they make sense for Miami? Richie Grant, probably going to be a top 50 pick. I don't know if he makes it to you in the second round. At, at 50. So you might have to give it at 36. Um, Kate Johnson, fourth, I'd say. Just limited catch radius. Undersized guy coming from a small school. It's just a tough sell earlier than that. Could even be fifth. I could see but him yeah. falling a little bit farther too. All right. This is from GM1AB. Rate my Bengals offseason roster. Although I will say McShay had a best top 100 guy also. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Rate my Bengals offseason roster moves. I'm using PFF free agency salary numbers and big board for the draft. All right. Dude, he went in here. His post-June 1 <laughs> cuts were Geno Atkins, Bobby Hart, Trey Hopkins, Xavier Suofolo, saving $25 million and bringing up cap space up to $67 mil. Then it was signed Matt Filer, Austin Ryder, Kevin Zeitler, and Rick Wagner. They went in on the offensive line. I like that guy's head. I like where that guy's head's at. A lot of depth pieces along the offensive line. This would have been a power move for them. Defensive line, they re-signed Carl Lawson, and they got Trey Hendrickson. 
and Shelby Harris. That would have been an interesting decision. I would have liked some, to see them bring back Carl Lawson. Then they signed, re-signed William Jackson and get Mike Hilton. They did get Mike Hilton. This guy's on something. And then he had them drafting Jamar Chase at five, Cosme at 37, or Alex Leatherwood. 69, Levi Muzurike at 109, Quinn Miners. Might not be there now. And then 148, Stanford cornerback Paulson Adebo. I do think that my favorite part of this, which the Bengals did none of, was the offensive line. Yeah, some more budget signings. Getting the budget signings on the offensive line, like a Filer, like a Ryder, Zeitler, who was cut, Rick, Rick Wagner. Wagner. The Filer's still out there. Or not, I, uh, no, Filer excuse me, um, Ryder. Ryder still. I get those two mixed up. Yeah. Sorry. Trey Turner's still out there. They did cut Atkins and Hart, right? Yeah. So, that's a little too much pants caking in free agency in my, for my liking. You spent, you, yeah, I laid a little too much, too much ched. I would but I would have liked some more budget signings along the office line. Just get some guys in there so you don't bottom out like you did last year. Like Ricky Wagner, I'd still like to add that. If you're not going to draft, if you really are tied into Jamar Chase, which I've seen your draft yet, Jamar Chase 5, get a third tackle just in case. By all means, don't let your quarterback get murdered. I do think signing Carl Lawson and Trey Hendrickson at the value we saw them sign at $15 million a year would be kind of insane. I don't think you want to spend $30 yeah, million on it. both those guys. But bringing back William Jackson is still something I think they should have done. Compared to Gito, they yeah, I don't think William Jackson wanted to be back also, though. And I also think this is a slam comments. dunk for the Bengals. I think going weapon at five, whether that's pits or a receiver, and then tackle at 37 is, is the move. I do think that, and Tom McShay said he'd go pits, then chase, then Sewell at five. Because I do think at 37, maybe it's not Sam Cosme, but I think Leatherwood could be there. I mean, one of these tackles is going to fall. Dylan Radin's. Tevin Jenkins. Um, I mean, there's going to be a tackle there at 37. No, I want Panay. You want Panay? I mean, I'd go Pitts. I'm going anyone. I think I've come around to that line of thought. That's just like he's he's almost like a guy you can just drop into your offense that other guys can't. Yeah. You know? It's very much so. It's like you got a card game where you have a special card that no one else can get. I should have a better analogy than that. But... Just like other guys, other offenses can't play with that chess piece. You can then find other wide receivers. You can find offensive tackles. You can't find the, the Kyle Pitts to throw in the middle of the field to be this chess game piece. All right, this is from iDart. When valuing draft draftable players, we know who has the most value at the top, the QB. After that, I draft tackle, then edge rusher. Can you continue the list in order of the elite positions for which you would take a player number one overall if that player was by far the perfect slash elite player at the position? This is an interesting one. I like this. So, I, I honestly don't think it's offensive tackle. Um, I, I would I would go edge one, mm -hmm. then cornerback two, then wide receiver three, tight end four, safety five, then offensive tackle six. Because you're talking about if you're talking about the perfect can't miss guy at a position, you have I don't know Sean Taylor at safety. You got who's Deion Sanders at corner. You got. I don't know who's the edge, the, I guess, Chase Young edge. You're talking about that high end where you know that guy's going to be that dude. That doesn't, that doesn't give you much. We've always talked about offensive line. You need five guys across. You don't necessarily need one guy who you're not worried about ever giving up pressure. Whereas at edge, if you have one guy you know can always get pressure, other, other teams aren't going to you know, have to game plan around that guy. Then that guy can, Aaron Donald can be a pass rush all on his own sort of thing. So that's how I value it. 
I think I'm with you there. I guess I should probably be high on DT then if that's the case. DT is an interesting one how you have it below off the tackle. I, I mean, I, I don't hate it's DT. It's a tough conversation. Yeah, it's a tough conversation. It is. <laughs> it is. I, I mean, edge, edge, wide receiver, tight end, safety. I don't know. I think I'd put off the tackle ahead of safety. Okay. But it's tough. It's really tough. I do think that edge is the, the one right after quarterback, though. I definitely think edge. Because, again, like laying it out there, like that guy can be your pass rush. Mm-hmm. And then he has to be accounted for every single time when he is that. When you're J.J. Watt in your prime. Gave the Texans a good defense when they really didn't have you know, yeah. too many other pieces around him. All right. This is from Everything is Taken 987. What's good, boys? Love the show. Mike, I want to know what you think about this offseason for the Pats. We've got a lot of these questions. These are interesting. They want He wanted the Pats to go Kenny Galladay to a four-year, $75 million contract. I'm not going to read the fucking contracts. contracts. Kenny Galladay signed Romeo Quara, Kyle Van Oy, re-signed David Andrews, re-signed James White, and rolled the rest of the cap over next season. They didn't do that. They, they went similarly, though. Judon, Zed Alquara, obviously got Van Noy, uh, got James White. And, then and went instead of Galladay, they went two wide receiver by, by committee. And then went tight ends. Yeah. So I don't know if I would have loved Galladay, though, one guy with how much he got paid. Yeah. So he got a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money. So then he has in the draft them trading up from 15 to 7 with the Lions. They trade next year's first and pick 36 this year to get Trey Lance, which I kind of like. Yeah, I would I would like that a lot. Trey Lance, Getting Trey Lance or Justin Fields, if the New England Patriots can put a trade together to go up and get Trey Lance or Justin Fields, that's the move. That's how they should treat the first round. Anything else, I think, is plan B, plan C. And then after that, he has them taking throughout the rest of the draft Amari Rogers of Clemson, Aline McNeil of NC State, wide receiver Jalen Darden of North Texas, safety Jamie Sherwood, safety linebacker uh, Jamie Sherwood of Auburn, He's got Jamin Davis there too. Where are you getting all these guys? Dude, he's got, he made some moves. Robert Hainsey from Notre Dame. He added some talent. He drafted a bunch of second and third rounders. I, I love it. I personally love it. If you can get all of the really good yeah. players, I think it'd be sick. That's why I said Trevor Lawrence in the third. Like, if you can get them. If you can make it happen. By all means. If Trevor Lawrence goes up on a, okay, here's a good question. I'm going to throw this into the mailbag. If Trevor Lawrence, day of the draft, Something surfaces where he has a gas mask on, a bong gas mask on. How far does he fall? None? Does he even None. fall at all? I don't think he falls at all. No. There would be, have to be more like a Lyle Collins yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah. Where he, he was in like a murder case, wasn't His he? His ex-girlfriend was murdered. That's right. Right? And that was like, people didn't know. He was a person of interest, yeah, I believe was, is what they called it. Right. Yeah. Garyon Conley slipped because of sexual assault allegations when he was involved in a threesome or a foursome, I believe. Interesting. Um... I'm not sure if it was three or four, but that those ended up being it's denied. Difference. It's a big difference. Yeah, um, but that would <laughs> that would have to be said allegations. Fair enough. Not, it's it's a dumb conversation. Trevor, Trevor Lawrence isn't a gas mask away from falling. Exactly. All right. This is from Gavin Dale. Has PFF considered recategorizing on-field positions, especially as it pertains to draft prospects? Which positions would you create new categories for? This harkens back to my my Mel Kuyper conversation from the other day. And we've already tried. I mean, like we've, I, I want to say, popularized edge. Absolutely. Or at least a part of the category. conversation, yeah. Instead of saying 3-4 outside linebacker or 4-3 defensive end. Today's NFL, a lot, those guys are oftentimes asked to do similar things. Now, even, even in between that, there are guys who aren't necessarily going to do one or the other uh, or going to be able to do everything in the sort of edge category that you might want an edge to do in your system. 
So there's still some some nuance, more nuance that needs to be there. But I do think it's better than DE or outside linebacker because a lot of times they're doing the same thing. But I, I will say slot, I think, needs to be popularized as its own category. There needs to be guys where, yeah, you, you can also have slots that play, can play safety or slots that, you know, in some schemes can play outside. But I think that is a skill set. And that's it's one that I would add to the sort of NFL draft rankings of this guy is a guy who's going like a Meek Robertson last year, Louisiana Tech cornerback. That guy's a slot. I don't think he's necessarily he could play safety for you, but ideally, when you do have that third cornerback on the football field, that's who it's going to be. It's going to be that guy in your defense. And I think there's you know a number of guys in every year's draft that it's like that. I think Elijah Moulton falls into that category. So you're like, yeah, he might be a, could be a safety for you, but anytime you're going to want a guy in the slot, I think you're going to want Elijah Moulton. So I think there's opportunity to also do the same type of thing for safety, box safety, free safety, like deep safety versus a box player. Yeah. I do think that just listing safeties, like your top 10 safeties, they're all like all of them are going to play different positions. All of them are going to do different things. Like if you just rank the top 10 safeties in a draft. Yeah. It, if you want to just call guys pure box or that maybe dime safety, whatever you want to call it, I think there's a room for that positional designation too. All right. This is from Milwaukee Mike. My question is, what are your way too early thoughts on the relative strength of position groups in the 2022 draft? Anecdotally, I've heard you guys mention the receiving group won't be nearly as strong as the past two, but would like your takes on the rest of the class starting up. Also, as a fellow Mike from Milwaukee, I have to give a shout out to Mike Renner for repping the pack loud and proud. Mike's from Milwaukee. You're not there from Milwaukee, are us. you? I was born in Milwaukee, yeah. Oh, okay. I feel like Grew I have no idea where West you're Dallas. from. You are like you were like in Chicago, in Milwaukee. I moved a lot. Lived in West Dallas for a few years. Like when I was like, until like four years old. Then I moved to Brookfield, Wisconsin, until I was seven. Then I moved to Muhammad, Illinois. It's just outside of Champaign until high school. And obviously went to Notre Dame. My parents moved to outside of Louisville. Now I lived in then Chicago. And now I live in... Since I, Midwest, you got the Midwest. Midwest That's a sample platter right there. Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio. Bang. But next year, I think it's actually looking to be a nice edge class. I think we've talked about that a little bit on this. I think there's going to be some some quarterback talent at least. I think the wide receiver class is not as is going to be a bit of a downfall, especially from these last two. And I think you're going to have a, a weaker offensive line class. There's not a lot of younger offensive line prospects like Tyler Linderbaum, still one guy coming back where I'm like, I feel good about that guy. Not a lot of others that I can throw in that same vein. So that's how I feel. The other positions you really have not gotten deeper into. Sorry to disappoint. All right, this is from Julian Louise. Do you believe the Dolphins will regret not trading for Watson? No. I cre- <laughs> not, not now. I mean, I think they, in retrospect... Have to be doing jumping jacks. Can you imagine? So we haven't talked about the Deshaun Watson stuff since a few podcast episodes ago. Obviously, you saw yeah. two women officially file what criminal lawsuits yeah. against Deshaun Watson. You you were talking to, to me about this last night. That is complaint. objectively the worst sound you can put on a podcast. Oh, when sorry. you bang your ice against the fucking metal thing, it is a disaster. You are the reason people unsubscribe. You're the reason I want to die. Um, but. Back to the Deshaun Watson stuff. We were talking last night at trivia. He's not playing again. I mean, this looks this season. This I, this I does not look him. good for Deshaun Watson. I and 
And you know who it doesn't look good for, actually? It's the fucking 22 women involved. That's who it doesn't look good for. That's awful. This is awful. The, the reports, the allegations, the details are awful. And all point at the fact that Deshaun Watson is complete garbage. Like, this is, this is I feel so bad for the, the women involved in this. People talk about Deshaun Watson more because he's more famous. But the women involved in this, this stuff looks absolutely criminal man awful details awful things when you read these reports i feel like that's that's the more important part of this conversation i do feel obviously sean watson might not play football that's the headlines this is a football podcast but the women involved in this disaster this sucks for them and it's to rope back to Deshaun watson i don't care your thoughts on the credibility of these women or whatever put that aside just think to yourself why does a guy need to go to 40 massage therapists why does, why does someone who can hire a professional masseuse with the contract they have, who has team masseuses with the Houston Texans, why do they need to go to 40, 50-plus massages, that therapists that they solicit over Instagram? Just why did he why ask you... multiple of them to sign NDAs? This is, this is this again, throw well, credibility. Those, those are like allegations again. Like Whether you find those, uh, what those women are saying credible or not, that's in your heart. But why ask yourself why he would need to go there in the first place? That way. Travesty, man. Really yeah. feel bad for the women involved in those cases. It's awful. It's an awful situation. But had to bring it up with Julian Louise. The Dolphins will not regret trading for Deshaun Watson. Uh, What's you... the date on that question? This is like uh, early March, mid-March. It yeah. was before the stuff kind of broke yeah. down. I, I kind of want to read it through because it, it, a QB of his caliber rarely becomes available at the prime of his career. <laughs> Given the massive draft capital need to make make the trade and our needs for playmakers on the offense do you believe building around Tua is the right decision the media seems to highlight that the cardinals did with rose and murray as the new hotness for rookie quarterbacks cut bait and draft someone else i believe Tua is the answer and if not we have to at least surround him with weapons and give him the opportunity to succeed i do think if the miami dolphins were going to stay put at three they should take a quarterback and and and, and take more swings at the positions however making the decision to get all the capital they did trading back. I don't love the trade up back to six, but making the decision to trade back to 12 initially, two extra first round picks to commit to building around Tua Tungvaluwa. I like that decision a lot. And I think if you're going to if you're going to build around Tua, that was the right decision. It wasn't staying put at three and taking your favorite non-quarterback. It was trading back and getting a non-quarterback later in the draft while adding draft capital. Yeah. yeah. Right. Going to the next question here. This is from Dahami. I think this might be Dahomey. I don't know. It's with an A. It's hard to say. What do you guys think about defensive end Wyatt Hubert in the NFL draft? I'll show you right here. It's right here. This is Wyatt Hubert in the draft. <laughs> T-Rex arms. What has he got? 29 and a half inch arms? I think 30 flat. 30 flat. 30 flat. So the Kansas State defensive tackle. He's like 6'3 with 30 flat inch arms. It's just how? He did not. How win. big are his hands? He did not win a genetic lottery there with that combination, sadly. I don't think he can tie his shoes. He needs help to tie his shoes, I've heard. I'm kidding. That's a bad joke. I feel bad. I'm sorry, Wyatt. We, he's he's a good NFL, He's a good player for college. It's just that lack of length is going to show up so often in the NFL when you have guys who are your tackles are always going to get their hands on you. And then the problem is like with that lack of length, you can't get once the offensive tackle is locked out with you, you can't get back into the chest. Yeah, You're four inches away from them. And you can't, you're going to have to swat their hands away. You're going to have to be perfect with your hand usage when you do have length to that degree. There just hasn't been a successful one ever. I mean, anytime you have less than ideal measurables, and I'd say these are even worse than less than ideal, 
you're going to have to be perfect in other places, specifically technique. I mean, we talked to that. Yeah. We talked to Jonah Williams about that when he was getting drafted to play tackle. It's like, hey, shorter arm length, you can make up for that. And his, and his were, were three yeah, inches yeah. longer than. Yeah, yeah. His were still not like this level of bad. But like, you're just going to have to be perfect technically. And yeah. to have this level of measurables, it's just going to be very tough to do. Also, before I jump to the next mailbag question, only a few more before we break. End of an era in Cincinnati. Giovanni Bernard has officially been released. So there are no running backs now. That stat you keep dropping. There are no running backs that were no. drafted. James White got resigned, so he's back. Oh, damn it. I know, right? 2015, though. He was a couple years later. So none before 2015. Quinn, initial thoughts on Giovanni Bernard no longer being a Cincinnati Bengal? Uh, well, I got a couple. They're probably not the highest spending running back team anymore. Um, end of an era. Gio was... So I felt like... They always kind of were like they drafted Gio in whatever year that was. He was the first running back off the board. 2013. 2013, yeah. And then I feel like they kind of were always like looking to draft his replacement. Like they took Jeremy Hill the yeah. year after that. Like, but he was good every time he was kind of like the lead back. So I always thought that was kind of weird too. But yeah, I mean, it's like I, I feel like it was going to happen. I know they were trying to trade him. I guess they didn't have a trade partner and, you know, save $4 million this year. Fun fact, Giovanni Bernard's the reason why I live at my current apartment. Why? I remember moving to Cincinnati. I remember seeing him move. He moved in on Hard Knocks as a rookie to Kerneth Banks, where I live. And I saw, like, they did, like, a shoot down from his apartment to, like, the pool down there. And I was like, wow, that place looks sick. <laughs> they, just built, Wait, yeah, they just, they just built Giovanni it. Wait, Giovanni Bernard lived at the current? Yeah, that was like his first, like, wow. It, go back and watch Hard Knocks. They were they showed yeah, him moving he was, into that his That was place. when he was driving around his uh, girlfriend's van, too. Dude, yeah. that's sick. That's and not... I was like, damn, I want to move there, live there when I moved to Cincinnati. And you do. And I moved. Wow. Dreams. RIP Gio. RIP Gio. All right, this is from DJFJFND. As a Jaguars fan, I think we should take Kyle Pitts at one and Kyle Trask with our next pick. What the hell is this? Is you wouldn't this have satire? to also be a Florida fan, would you? <laughs> They obviously have a con great connection and would be a perfect fit. What do you think? Um, Florida man goes wild with Jacksonville Jaguars draft. This is just absolutely absurd. You do not pass on Trevor Lawrence for Kyle Pitts. And Quarterback is honestly, you know how you, the, the quickest way Urban Meyer gets fired in Jacksonville is if that happens. If you went Pitts and then Trask, that would be a disaster, an absolute disaster. All right. The, it just you, you prioritize the quarterback. The, to go back to actually a serious answer to this question, the negligible seeming difference between quarterbacks that at any other position wouldn't really matter. You know, a guard, a Pro Bowl guard versus a just a run of the mill quality starting guard, that might not be that big a difference. At quarterback, that's like three wins. So you don't you don't make that trade off at the quarterback position. Apparently, Giovanni Bernard asked for his release. Oh, no. Dude, he's out of You know what, though? Get out of Cincy. You know what, though? You got the uh, best stash in Cincinnati now. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. That's the big take the competition. From this. That's my final thought on <laughs> Giovanni Bernard's release. Can't miss now, fellas. I'll see you at the banks. Um, <laughs> uh, this is from KR295708. Had a question about comp picks. Say you're the Lions and you lose Kenny Galladay to free agency, and then you sign another receiver in free agency. Would the Lions lose their comp pick they got for Kenny Galladay? All right, so compensatory picks. We talked about this briefly with Brad on the episode, but it's it's based off of like banding. It kind of bands in terms of the contracts each guy gets going out and the contracts you sign coming in. One, you, if you sign a guy who was cut from somewhere else, so if you sign a wide receiver that got cut elsewhere, doesn't count in the compensatory pick formula. Um, if you cut a guy yourself, he doesn't count in the compensatory pick formula. 
So they still are going to get a third round compensatory for Kenny Galladay because his contract band was so high and they lost other guys below that. So they lost uh, Marvin Jones, Jared Davis, uh, Matt Prater even would factor in that compensatory pick. So when they signed guys like uh, Jamal Williams, Rashad Perriman, those cancel out the later picks that they would have gotten. They did lose like a sixth rounder by signing Jamal Williams that they would have gotten had they not signed Jamal Williams because they lost uh, Jamal Agnew. So they will still get that third rounder for Kenny Galladay. But if they went out and signed, say, I don't know, a Trey Flowers again, or they went out and signed a big money. Instead of signing Romeo Aquara, they signed Matthew Judon. They would that might cancel out because the pay bands of how much they would sign a guy for matches up with the pay bands for the Kenny Galladay signing. So if the pay bands are lower, though, it cancels out the lower ones first. So you have it. Hopefully that made sense. I don't know if it did, but I think you did a good Fuck. job there. I think you did an okay job. Need a little there. visual. Go back and listen to the episode we interviewed Brad Spielberger. I think it's I'm not same. sure we went too deep in the weeds onto that, but yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right, this is next one here. Last question. Hudson Wang. What if the Patriots re-signed David Andrews, took Najee Harris in the first, and Jackson Carmen in the second, and then ran a base set of six offensive linemen, two running backs, two tight ends, with Wynn, Onwenu, Andrews, Mason, Brown, Carmen, both Harris's at running back, Damian, and Najee, Hunter Henry, and John Smith at tight end Super Bowl? I think yes. I'm with Hudson Wang. I think they might honestly do this. It's going to be run heavy, dude. It's going to be run heavy. I mean, they ran a lot of 6-0 line last year. With two tight end also. So I Dude, Jackson Carmen is your sixth O line too. It's kind of sick. Yeah. Getting Carmen in there, that positional versatility. Beefy. You got a Wainu win, Carmen, Shaq Mason. You got Trent Brown back. That is a that is a unit right there. Talk about zigging when other teams are zagging. That's a zig and a half. You know what you could do too? Seven O linemen. Hell, eight. Eight offensive linemen. I don't think you can legally do eight offensive linemen. They would have to one would have to be off the ball. But yeah. yeah. One would have to be like tight end. But you, you you can't you don't want you need Hunter and Janu on the field. True. They Come take Cam spot. Janu's under center. I like that actually. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for this mailbag here. We're catching up. We're moving quickly. I know we're still answering questions from before free agency, but I swear we're catching up. That's only what like Mar- I think I'm through. We're through about March 18th, right around there. March 18th, and it's only April 7th. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. Are we? I think we're going to get there. If not, we're going to do the 10-hour live show. I mean, I this care. is the first time we've been under a month. Yeah, in a, we're going to get there. In a while, yeah. I believe. We encourage you to continue to put questions in on Apple Podcasts, even though we're barely catching up. Please put your questions in on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review there and drop your question in. We will get to it eventually, regardless of when we attack it. Now, let's get interviews going with Washington Edge Defender Joe Tryon and Indiana Safety Jamar Johnson. Now joining the 2-4-1 Drafts podcast is former Washington edge defender Joe Tryon. Joe, great to have you on the show. Appreciate you having me, man. Let, let's talk about this pro day. You know, you're, you're telling people on Twitter, that's 4-5. Don't don't, that's a 4-5. Don't tell me anything. I think it was uh, official numbers were in the 4-6 areas or whatever. Came in at 6-5, 259. How do you feel like that pro day went for you? I think I did, did well. You know, I proved what I wanted to prove. You know, I ran. I did run a 4-5. You know, I ain't hearing those 4-6, man. I, <laughs> that's 4-5, but... Regardless of that, you know, I'm ready to get back to real football. You know, the numbers is good and all, but I just know it's been a minute since I've been on the field and I need to get back to it. So I'm ready to you know, get going. Yeah, absolutely, man. Talk about that decision you made to obviously opt out of the 2020 season. What all went into that decision and what have you been working on in the year without football? It was just the wacky circumstances with the Pac-12 commissioner canceling mm-hmm. in August, you know, deciding, you know, to have a season later on in the year, you know. 
Um, he told us that he wanted to have a spring season, and I was like, all right, you know, this, the draft is in the spring. I'm not going to play. I'm going to get ready for the NFL draft. And then I opted out in, in early September, started training, went down to Orange County. And then he want to say, you know, two months after I'm in training, he want to be like, um, yeah, the season's back on. And, and I think it was late November. They had they scheduled a six-game season. And by then, you know, I was already with an agent, already had fees, and I couldn't come back in. You know, I couldn't pay the fees back to become an NCAA-eligible student again. So mm-hmm. I was already committed. And I, I thought about coming back. But like I said, there was just too much to do it, and I was already committed to the process. Yeah. Totally understand that, man. I, I uh, was talking to Levi Muzurike, former teammate, about the same situation. It was a wacky year for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Both those conferences didn't know their season was up in the air, and then it was back, and it was canceled. All that stuff, pretty crazy, man. What have you been doing in the year? You know, in the, in the year without football, obviously training a ton. I think Levi Muzurike said, and I quote, "That guy swears a lot, man. You got to be careful around that guy." And I quote, "He got big as shit. Did you get big as shit working out this past year? Obviously, I, I've stocked the Instagram photos along with half of Seattle, I'm sure." Um, how how is getting getting ready this offseason or this year and what have you been working on specifically to prepare for the draft? Uh, I just I really focus on my diet aspect, you know, putting in the right things in my body, you know, and I feel like, you know, just seeing the results really, really, really got me motivated to continue to eat well. You know, college, you know, you just go by eating freaking fast food, all that, whatever <laughs> you can afford. But I'm not going to say I was never like I was fat, but man, I was I wasn't eating the right food in college. <laughs> But I just can't wait to, you know, have a good diet and see how much it affects my game, you know. Mm-hmm. I was able to change my body, and I'm ready to, you know, put that on the, on tape now. What were some of the hardest foods to cut out? And did you, like, get a nutritionist, or did you just kind of do all the research yourself? How did that process of, like, actually getting your diet cut down go? It was pretty simple because when I went, when I went to Orange County, we had a, a private chef, and the meals were being cooked for me, you know. When you when you want to eat healthy, you know you gotta cook yourself. You know, that mm-hmm. you, I know a lot of people get lazy. You know, people like to cut corners. I, that's what I did growing up. So you know, just having the the accessibility to a private chef was really really helpful. And you know, just knowing what to put in your body, knowing that you know some fried food ain't gonna help you. You know, have a better workout the next day. You know, just knowing what's right and what's wrong is it's pretty pretty much what I did. What, 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 before obviously the new Joe Tryon was entered in the world here, the, what was some of the favorite fast food places you're hitting? Man, I was in like Jack in the Box. I was in, I, I was a big McDonald's dude, but you know, I hit that like a couple, maybe every other month or so, but. Just, just a lot of, and I did the same thing in college, but you just, you want to. Yeah, I mean, Jack in the Box, McDonald's, Taco Bell, those are those are the usual suspects, man. So those, those will get you in trouble for sure. Uh, going back a little bit, you know, to your game, how much have you been working, you know, pass rush moves and those types of things? Have you had any opportunities to work with, like, the Chuck Smiths of the world, guys that are able to kind of put together pass rush move lists and those types of things? How has that gone for you? Say that again. I'm sorry. No, yeah, I think we are cutting out a little bit. All good, man. I was saying, have you had any opportunities to work on your pass rush moves list or your pass rush moves specifically in this year while you're obviously away from football? Oh, yeah, definitely been able to, you know, just hone in on certain moves that I know I'm going to be good at. So I got I got long arms, so I definitely wanted to incorporate a stab move. You know, you can you can use that. You can counter a lot of moves off the stab, you know, having long arms, getting an offensive tackles, chest, creating them. You know, they're going to throw their hands right after you stab them. So, Mm -hmm. A lot of moves you can work off that, you know, and that's definitely one move I've been 
really trying to hone in on. And, and so what, talk to me more about kind of how you prepare in game, you know, in a given game week for an upcoming opponent. What do you look for on film for a specific offensive tackle that you're going to go against? And how exactly, you know, what tendencies do you look for? What are you looking for on film in a practice week as you prepare for a certain opponent? Most of the time, I like to start off, you know, their stance. You know, they're giving away any runner or pass keys. And then, you know, how they kick, you know, what, what type of better they are, better, 45, jump setter. So I like to, you know, pretty much create a, a list of moves that I'm going to use against them that counters what the type of setter they are. And especially, you know, I'll go in, you know, decide, you know, if they're say they're a low hand punch, you know, they're coming down. You know, a lot of a lot of chops work against that, um, cross chops, all that. If they're a high puncher, you know, they're coming at your chest, trying to choke you out, man. You know, two hands swipe, you know, get their hands off you, quick little swipe. Um, so this is a lot that goes into it, and I really enjoy that process. People good in the, in the game, so it's probably. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, you broke up a little bit there, but um, I, I do think I, I'd love to hear how that uh, film film preparation has kind of changed or film study has changed in the offseason. Do you have any opportunities to watch guys in the NFL, like guys to kind of mirror their moves? And if so, who are some of the guys that you like to watch in the NFL? I like to watch um, – I've always been watching him, but like Chandler Jones, dude on the Cardinals, you know, I feel like I have similar body type to him, you know, long arms, you know, long striders, you know, eat up ground. And he's just a dude that doesn't let people get in his chest. And I really I really try to take that into my game, incorporate it into my own game. So he really is the one that dictates the rushes. That's what I watched on film. So just keeping that mindset, you know, that you're the one in control instead of letting the, letting the tackle really control your set or your, your moves. It's really, really something I learned, and I can't wait to get back on the field and try out. We mentioned uh, Levi a little bit earlier here, but I'd love to hear your scouting report on Levi Muzurike, a guy that has a ton of confidence. Dude, he seems like a fun locker room guy. I'd love to hang out with him outside of an interview here. But talk to me about Levi and what he does well. Man, he, does, he doesn't He does do a lot of things bad, man. I don't think he has one, <laughs> one weakness. The dude is – you can put him all around the line. You line him up in a nine tech, line him up in a zero, and he'll dominate either way. Dude has the, the quickest first step I ever seen, maybe even faster than uh, Von Miller. Um, he was he reportedly ran a four three, but you know the time might be a little little slower than what they reported. But it was four three in person. Just know that <laughs> his get off. He just he just creates havoc. You know the dude is just a, a, a like a, a wrecking ball in, in the middle. And you know playing with him was really really amazing because you know. You, you get off the ball and then Levi already made the play like in one, one, one second. And you're just like, all right, next play. You're like, mm-hmm. catch your breath. Good. So Levi is definitely one of those players that is going to make a huge impact. You know, day one of camp, you know, he's going to be, if not the starter. And I, I'm, I'm excited for him for real. Strongest dude I know too. Just everything, man. What can't he do? What can't Levi do? Uh, going back uh, to your can't... name a little bit. <laughs> What'd you say? He can do a lot of things, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he can't do for real. Yeah, fair enough, man. I'll go back to your game a little bit. You know, in PFF's draft guide, we see kind of your biggest strength is is your strength and your ability to bull rush guys to get on the interior and push through, run and win through people. Do you feel like if you put the scouting hat on, that is your biggest strength? Do you see as your bull rush is kind of your tried and true strength in this class, something that separates you among the other edge defenders in this class, or what do you really feel like is your biggest strength and the biggest separator? Um, definitely my, my variety of pass rush moves, you know, I'm, I got, I got it all in my bag, but going back to the bull rush, I like to, I like to use that a lot more set moves off of power. 
because in the NFL, I know the ball is getting out faster. So you can have a you can have a great get off, but if you're not pressing the pocket, you're not gonna you're not gonna affect the play. You gonna just run around, dude. So definitely power is something I look to incorporate in my game a lot more. You know, even though I did it a lot in college, I want to keep improving that and you know build upon that because without power, you really ain't got nothing. Where do you feel like your biggest opportunity to improve is, or or what do you feel that like you want to get better at the most when you head to the NFL? Um, I just want to be in. I like I like getting after the quarterback. You know, being being at Washington, you know, I had several responsibilities other than rushing the quarterback. So I believe, you know, if I had my hand in the dirt, freaking like everyone else did, you know, I, I would have a lot more sacks and my numbers may maybe you know, maybe maybe I'm not gonna say that I'm better than other people, but I'm I'm. I'll say that I was in coverage a lot more than a lot of people. And, you know, I'll just say my numbers would have been a lot better. But, you know, I'm excited to have that that um, in my tool bag, and that makes me really you know, skillful. And, and I believe that, you know, I fit any scheme, 3-4, 4-3, outside linebacker, defense end. And some of the conversations you've had with teams, what has been their feedback or their interpretation of where they want to see you play in the NFL? Do they see you as that 4-3 end? Do some want to play in the 3-4? What has been some of the common themes in terms of where teams want to play you at the next level? Man, they they be saying uh, either, you know, depending on the scheme, they're like, yeah, you're, you're a 4-3 DN and the dirt, or, oh, no, I see you stand up outside linebacker, you know, dropping the coverage a couple of times and rush out of a two-point. So it's that's that's why I'm I'm grateful, you know, Having the the, the skills that I do and the, coming from the scheme that I came from, you know, I, I'm really, you know, I'm buried in my my approach to the game. Awesome, man. Very cool. Well, we can finish with this one. I really appreciate the time. Appreciate getting into the diet stuff. I got to get on the Joe Tryon diet, man. Judging by the Instagram pictures, I need to get involved. <laughs> um, but uh, what what is your motivation? You know, what is your why, uh, if you will, to play this game, to make the sacrifices it takes to play at the collegiate level and then pursue uh, a, a career in the NFL? You know, just to be able to um, pay back all the people that made sacrifices for me. You know, my mom, single mom, put a lot of time into me. You know, it's just something that, you know, I believe that there's no reason not go 100% every time I'm on the field. And I just got a lot to prove. You know? Very cool, man. Well, I really appreciate the time, like I said, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Appreciate you having me on, man. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is former Indiana safety and a PFF favorite of late, Jamar Johnson. Great to have you on the show, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. Glad to be here. Absolutely, dude. Just coming off your pro day, how, how was that experience for you? Any major takeaways from that? Obviously, you had a ton of opportunities to talk to coaches and evaluators. How was that pro day for you? Uh, pro day went real good for me, man. Um, heard nothing but good things. Um, I mean, yeah, I've been getting evaluated, you know, and we're going to see where it gets. Gotcha, man. What draft time? Come down, draft time. I think something interesting about your, you know, your profile and kind of how you entered this draft is that you just, you know, by no fault of your own, you know, you know, uh, coming out after your true junior season, just haven't played a ton of snaps. So I think under 800 snaps total played at the collegiate level. How much have teams talked to you about your experience and kind of their interest in seeing where you can get with another thousand snaps, two thousand snaps, and adding more experience to your game in the NFL? Um, no, nah, they haven't really talked about. I mean. For the most part, you know, I've been hearing all positive things. Um, I mean, the film speaks for itself. So, I mean, they know I know the game. They like my IQ. They don't really, really talk about the snaps as much. But they always ask me, like, you know, what was, why wasn't I getting snaps as many? But, you know, that was mm -hmm. that. Yeah, for sure, man. I think something that PFF sees as a big highlight or big strength for you is just that fluidity, man. You know, fluidity in hips. You you played a ton of deep safety at Indiana, and to be a good deep safety, to make plays on the ball like you did, 
I mean, you, you have to have fluid hips. You have to have good change of direction, good overall athleticism. That's where we see a ton of your strengths. And also, you know, that pays into positional versatility. And I think that's another strength of yours. But mm-hmm. what do you feel like, you know, your strengths are? What are your separators in this safety class? Obviously, PFF sees, you know, athleticism, hip fluidity, positional versatility. But what do you think really separates you in this class? Uh, I mean, what separates me, I believe, is just like, I mean, my IQ of the game and my attention to detail, you know, I'm always critiquing myself and trying to figure out how I can do things better. And I mean, like you said, the the versatility, I mean, I like to be versatile. You know what I mean? I started out as a corner, so I mean, I play both. So I really just call myself a DB because I mean, I can play any position on the field as a DB. So, I mean, that my hands, you know, my disability to make, I don't think nobody's made more plays than me on the ball in this job really so yeah that's another thing big factors man ball production positional versatility you definitely have that i'd love to get more into your 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 football iq in a given game week you know when you're turning on the film preparing for an offense what are you looking for on film throughout the week what are tendencies traits things that you look for on film and, and how much does that play into your game on sunday um yeah i mean that plays a big big part of my game you know um i mean First thing I like to look at is, you know, the defense that they're playing against, the offense is playing against, see if it's similar, see if it's not um, some things that I can just place my defense on the field at that time, see what I think will happen, go through plays in my head. Um, then I like to go over the, you know I mean, their top formations and top pass concepts and top plays in that formation. And I mean, just look at little things that, that I can pick from the QB, you know, um, any little tendencies I can see there. Um, you know, a lot of them like to um, just throw to their first read, so that was a big thing that I picked up on this year. Um, but, yeah, man, you just just diving into film study, watching all cut-ups, you know, and just, you know what I mean? So I'm out there. I'm out there just reacting out there, just, you know what I mean, make the game day easier. I don't really have to think as much. I just see ball, get ball type thing, you know. And how much has that film study changed in the offseason? Have you had a lot of opportunity this offseason to watch film on yourself or even watch film on guys in the NFL? And if so, who are some guys that you like to watch a lot of film of? Um, I mean, I haven't really been watching as much film on myself besides the film that I've been watching with the coaches, you know what I mean, and like that. But, uh, I mean, during the season, that's usually and before the season, you know what I mean, like fall camp and all that. But I like to watch guys, you know, this offseason I watched Buda Becker, Justin Simmons, um, Tyron Matthew, Jamal Adams, Jalen Ramsey, of course, um, Marlon Humphreys. I like Marlon Humphreys. Um, Marlon Humphreys a lot. You know, my, my emphasis on punching the ball mm-hmm. came a little bit more this year from watching that. And, yeah, that's about it, really. I'm also really interested, you know, you talk about, you know, watching film with teams and, and having those meetings. What are some of the more common questions that you get when you are meeting with teams or you're watching film with teams? Um, I mean, just like, you know, I always have to just go over my defense and, you know what I mean, where is this guy doing? What is this guy? I know the whole back end. I usually know the whole back end's um, job, you know, down to the linebackers, and to the Huskies, to the corner. So that's a lot of the questions. I get the concept questions. and You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What, want- what what can beat these coverages? Like what can be the cover, what are cover three beaters, what are cover four beaters? 
things like that. Just testing my knowledge, you know. Test- testing that football IQ. You love to see that. I'd love to turn back the clocks a little bit and focus on your high school career, man. You were what? MVP, team captain, two-time district title winner, three-year football letter winner, and big track guy as well, four-year letter winner with track and field. What positions did you play in high school? And then what were some of your events in track and field? Man, high school, man, I played it all. I literally played every skill position. I played safety, cornerback, strong safety, linebacker, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, slot receiver, um, return specialist. You know, I did all that in high school. So, um, I mean, that was a – that's where I really get all my moves and things from, my versatility from, because, I mean, I was just always that athlete on the team that could – you know what I mean? I'm just doing whatever yeah. it takes, whether it's offense, defense, returning. I want to put the, you know what I mean, stress on me to come up with the win. So, that's that helped me a lot, you know, playing all those positions. So, that helped my IQ really and um track, you know, I was a hurdler, 110 hurdler, long jumper, um four four by four, four by one, three hundred meter hurdles. You know, those mm-hmm. are my main events and that and my strongest probably was um well before I got I stomped my heel um and long jump, I mean it was long jump. Then my second basically my first two was um the one ten hurdles. I always feel like, you know, when you're recruiting in college, you got to go after the guys that played everything in high school because nine times out of ten, that dude's an athlete, one, and also is going to come in well versed playing multiple positions in the uh, obviously on your on your football team, regardless if you put him at safety, cornerback, stuff like that. That's awesome to hear that you had all that success in college. I think the the other question I had for you would be interested to know. You know, for defensive backs specifically, I think talking trash is a big part of the game. You talk about Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Richard Sherman, Jalen Ramsey, these guys that you know yeah. you've even spoke to. You got to get into the mental side of the game. It's like a it's like a yeah, game man. within a game. You know, it's like a chess match because oftentimes too, if you're playing defensive back, even if you're playing safety, you're going against the same guys every play. You're you're seeing the same yeah. guys, same names every single play. How do you approach the mental part of the game? What's your take on talking trash a little bit? I mean, I like to have fun, you know. Um, I mean, you know what I mean? Say if I, you know, throw somebody off me on the block, like, you know, I like to talk a little trash, like, come on, bro, like, what are you doing? <laughs> but um, just things like that, you know, I talk a little trash, but I like to talk my trash, like, one-on-one, you know what I mean, right in, so where they can hear me, you know, not many people can hear me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know? I definitely think the word fun is, is important there. Talking trash is also fun. It keeps you engaged. Exactly. It, it keeps you engaged, keeps you in the game, keeps you motivated, all those things. Ja, um, Jamar, I really appreciate the time, man. We can finish with this one. I ask um, all the prospects this. What is your motivation or your why to play this game and continue to make the sacrifices needed to you know, play college football, to pursue a career in the NFL, train at the level you do, watch film at the level you do? What is your motivation, your why to continue to pursue this as a career? Um, just my motivation as, you know what I mean? I just want to be the best, you know? Um, so that pushes me enough right there. And I mean, just staying consistent and, you know what I mean? Reaping the rewards of staying consistent and getting to work and doing what I love to do, you know what I mean? And get actually get paid for it, you know? I mean, that just adds a cherry on top, but it's really what I love to do. And I, I feel like, you know what I mean? I want to be the best at it. So that's what I do. Wanting to be the best is a great answer to that question. I definitely respect that, man. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Austin. That's going to do it for this episode of Two for One Drafts. Until next time, make sure you leave your five-star reviews, drop your questions in. Um, Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer David Safaro, producer Mike Quinn, Two for One Drafts. (laughs) 